Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. In this episode, I'm joined by Anne Latham, founder of Uncommon Clarity. Anne is an expert in strategic clarity and strategies for productivity, performance, and commitment. She works with clients in over 40 industries and has been featured in publications such as the New York Times, Bloomberg, and MSNBC. She's the author of The Power of Clarity, The Clarity Papers, Uncommon Meetings, and her most recent book, The Disconnect Principle. In this conversation, we go pretty deep into some of her books on clarity, talking about what it means to get clear and how gaining better clarity is actually the key to better productivity for us as individuals and as teams. We talk about the sort of fake pseudo clarity that we all have approaching the tasks that we take on and what it means to actually gain better clarity, get on the same page and get organized around specific objectives. I think this is a great and insightful conversation for anybody who's trying to be productive. And so I I think there's a ton of stuff in her methods that are really easy to use and put into practice that can really help a lot of people. And so I hope you enjoy it. Here is Ann Latham. Ann Latham, welcome to the show. Very excited to have a very clear conversation today and learn all about clarity. So welcome. Thank you very much. And yeah, let's hope it's clear. (laughs) (laughs) So just let's just start right at the beginning. How do you define clarity? Yeah, I define clarity as knowing exactly what you're trying to accomplish, how you're going to get there, with whom you're going to work, how well it has to be done, and you have the the resources and the opportunity so that you can really focus and achieve what you're trying to accomplish. And it doesn't matter whether that's sitting alone at your desk and what you're trying to work on right this minute for the next 10 minutes, or if you're looking ahead, you know, for the whole year for a corporation. It's the same definition. And most people are good at that, right? Yeah, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> most people's the goals are too vague. They think they're clear, but they, they're not as specific as they need to be. And they don't have a process. They, don't, they have a sense, oh, I need to move in this direction, but they're not clear about what's the first step, what's the next step. And I also, I define process differently, I think, than a lot of people. A lot of people think define process as a series of activities, the steps you need to take, whereas I define a process as a series of intermediate outcomes that add up to the final outcome. And by making that distinction, I'm saying that each step has to achieve something tangible, specific that moves you forward. Otherwise, it's just an activity and it hasn't accomplished anything for you. So I don't think, you know, people do not pay enough attention to that process and they aren't specific enough about what those intermediate outcomes are. All right. Well, there is enough to unpack there over the next 45 minutes to an hour. But let's go let's go back to the beginning. How did you come to be the the queen of clarity here? How, how, you've written some books on clarity, you speak on clarity, you have a a company called Uncommon Clarity where you help companies and individuals do this. What's the quick origin story on you and and how you got to be doing this work and preaching this gospel. Right. Well, I I start I was I was a math major, software engineer, worked my way up through the corporate world and all that and so I think I was kind of naturally clear. And so before I left my corporate job and I decided I wanted to start my own consulting business and I I wanted to have a broader influence on people and their companies, I asked all my peers and my boss and my former bosses and everyone I'd worked with what is it that I do exceptionally well that's most unusual? And I got these wonderful, really thoughtful, wonderful responses back. And they all said things like, you take in massive quantities of information, you cut to the chase, you find the kernel, you figure out how to move things forward. And that was the gist of it. But they all chimed in and basically say, I create clarity. So I named my company Uncommon Clarity. I I am my brand. That's what I do. And then I went out into the world trying to sell clarity. And guess what? No one buys clarity. It's like mom and apple pie. It's this nice sounding thing that everyone goes, of course, we need more clarity. But the reality is 
people don't really know what it is. There's no urgency there. So I did a lot of strategic planning. I did a lot of work helping clients be have making their teams more effective, process improvements. I was creating clarity all the time, but not by that name. And gradually I started teaching clients how to create their own clarity more. And I was writing a lot. So all my writing, I've written well over 600 articles and four or five books. And the whole idea is teaching people how they can create clarity so they can be more efficient, more effective, more confident, more able to empower others to get things done. So I can see where that happens, where, you know, it's like, I've had it happen before where you get really clear on something in your head and and you see it everywhere then in the world, but not everybody else has gone down the path that you've gone down. And so, you know, they don't recognize it as something that they need. You mentioned that people, I think you said at the beginning that that people think we know, we think we have clarity, but in reality, we, we really don't. What does vague clarity look like? Like if somebody was to say like, okay, help me understand then where I'm going wrong. Like what are the mistakes that people are making and what does vague clarity look like versus what is true clarity yes. look like? Okay, excellent. I love this question. <laughs> so let's go straight to meetings, a topic everyone loves. And let's just pick some items that you see on agendas, like project review, or we need to, I don't know what else you see on meetings, <laughs> you know, budget review, whatever. And and uh, yeah, when you reviews, say some, discussions, yeah, let's discuss yeah. this. And and when you think about, I've done exercises actually with project review and had um, when when I'm speaking to groups, have people break into pairs and just say, you know, brainstorm how many different directions the conversation could go if the topic is project reviews. And so, if you do that, you can literally come up with, you know, 67 items in just a couple of minutes collectively because it's everything from all the dimensions of schedule, all the dimensions of resources, all the dimensions of, you know, the various questions regarding customers, their expectations, whether they're happy, what their timelines are. There's the budget, there's risks, there's resource. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. And every one of the things I just mentioned, you can ask you know, many, many questions related to each one. So if you get a, you know, you put, you want an agenda, everyone says, well, we have to have an agenda before we have a meeting. So they put things like project review on the agenda and you have 10 people in the room who interpret that uh, probably 30 different ways. Each person wants to go in three different directions and they're just vying for their opportunity to get to the item that they care about most. And You've, you know, you've got the agenda, you've got the topic, but the reality is there's no clarity there. What do you, what needs to be different when you're done is my trademark question. What about this project? What, you know, what do we have to decide or agree on or solve so that we move this project forward at the end of our discussion? And if you don't have that level of clarity, you're just going to talk. So. Is it fair to say that your approach to clarity is a much more deliberate focus on objectives? Yes, and objectives that are very specific. That's one piece of it, okay? So being much more specific about what your objective is, is critical. And then that other piece is process clarity. And that's about being specific about well, it's about specificity over time. It's specific first outcome, specific second outcome, specific third outcome. It's always about being specific. And there's one thing I should say here is that we don't all necessarily know what the process has to look like when we first start something. But we better know what the first step we're trying to accomplish is and how will we know when we're done. With a project review, how will you know when you're done? You don't know. You can review a project forever. You can, you know, you, I call review a treadmill verb because you can review forever and you have no way of knowing when you're done. So I was going to ask you about treadmill verbs. So what is a treadmill verb and what are some examples outside of review? Right. So there's report, discuss, communicate, share, update. There are hundreds of them (laughs) and they all are invitations to talk without a specific purpose and without any way of knowing when you're done. So you can review forever, you can report forever, 
you can communicate forever, you can share forever. How do you, when do you stop talking? And a lot of people you know in meetings, they don't. <laughs> you seize the floor and this is their opportunity to, you know, talk about all their wonderful accomplishments or whatever else they feel like talking about. Yeah. I, just as you're saying that, you know, I know people in my life, you know, especially work life who aren't very decisive people. And so whether they need to do all the analysis themselves or they're more social and they need everybody's buy-in, there can often be a lot of meetings and discussions, you know, using a lot of these treadmill verbs to stall what would otherwise be an uncomfortable decision, right? And it's even if people don't do it on purpose, you can use those words as sort of a, a shield to have to make decisions because there's always more review to be done. There's always more discussion to be had. There's always more collaboration. Like you can use them as a hiding spot. Absolutely. And, and people do. But we should talk about destination verbs because that's the solution. The, uh, the other, the flip side of, of treadmill verbs, of which there are many, are, is destination verbs. And the good news is there are only about six. <laughs> six <laughs> okay. or eight. I can tell you the other two, but there's six that are really important. And a destination verb is a verb where you know when you're done. So the first one is decide. When you decide, once you've made a decision, you know you're done. You've got a decision. It's easy. The next one is plan. You make a plan. You've got your plan. You're done. It's, it's not, although there are people who turn planning <laughs> into treadmill verbs. They plan forever. But if you're specific, you can say, we, yes, we've got a plan. We're ready to move forward. The third one is resolve, resolving a problem. And once you've resolved the problem, you've figured out what your next step is, you're done. You, you can move on. The fourth one's a little different. It's a list. If you're making a list, it's easy to know when you're done because everyone's put as many things on that list as they can think of. But a list all by itself doesn't accomplish much, but a list is an input to the other three. When you make a decision, you probably need, you should have a list of decision criteria. You should have a list of options. You should have a list of risks. So even if you're not making a complete decision, a list is that step that unleashes next steps because you've accomplished something that's tangible and moves you forward. When you're planning, lists can be action items, resources, risks. There's several different kinds of lists that might help you plan. So decide, plan, resolve, and list are the first four. The next one is a little different too. It's confirm. Confirm is what happens when you walk into a meeting usually and you say, well, you know, look, or I've, so far I've done A and now I'm going to do B. Am I on the right track? <laughs> you want to confirm that you're on the right track. And that's all you want as a yes or a no answer. <laughs> and what happens, of course, usually when you walk into a meeting is that everybody, instead of just saying, yes, you're on the right track, they start telling you about the next, you know, four steps ahead that you're, you don't care about yet because you're not there yet. They start telling their war stories. They start telling what happened to them last time they did it. And so you get this earful of information that you're not ready to use. And all you want is, am I on the right track? Please say yes. Or, you know, if the answer is no, let's take this offline and tell me what I'm missing. So number six is authorize. And it's like confirm only. This is about approval. This is. I've done this. Can we implement? Are we ready to go? Can we start? So those are the six. And each one of those, not only is it easy to tell when you're done, they unleash next steps. Whereas a report, you never know when you're done and it might never unleash next steps. It might not help you do anything next. What's the point? What did you accomplish? Destination verbs are the way to be specific and move things forward. And that's what should be on your agenda, not treadmill verbs. Do you have a recommended process pre-meeting to get everybody on the same page around what the purpose of those meetings are? And the reason I ask is because I could see if, if you really are disciplined with the approach that you're talking about, I could see the need for some meetings. You know, if you're going to decide something, 
you, there might need to be some good healthy debate and discussion in there so that it could be a long meeting before you decide. But you may go into to something to decide and everybody's on the same page right off the bat. And so you don't need to waste a lot of time. So is there some process that you have for identifying whether there's clarity before you even go into a meeting? Yes. The absolute first step is for whoever's running the meeting or leading a part of the meeting. They need to be crystal clear in their head as to what must be different when we're done. What will be different? What will we walk away with that we don't have going in? So what decision, what plan, what problem resolution, what list? So that specificity is absolutely critical. If you're not sure what that is, then the first step of the meeting is to figure out what needs to be different when we're done. (laughs) Don't just start talking about the topic at hand because that'll just be a waste of time. But you brought up another interesting question and and you're talking about a decision process. And this is where process clarity comes in. When you're making a decision, if you pay more attention to process, you realize that, well, I'll just tell you that a good process starts with the decision criteria. What are the, what criteria, how will you know when you've made a good decision? What are the objectives? What are the constraints? What are the limitations? Those are your decision criteria. Step two is what are the alternatives? What options do we have? What might we try? Step three is the risks. If we choose what seemed like the best alternative, what's the downside? What could go wrong? So if you use those steps, you will be able to make a decision. And like you said, um, you could spend a whole meeting on it. But if you separate it into steps, you might find out that oh, guess what? I don't want the same people involved in all three of those steps. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) The objectives, the decision criteria might be one group of people. They might be the executives. They might be the bosses, whatever. The alternatives, you know, in terms of generating options, maybe you need technical people for that. And the risks, maybe you need more of the implementers for that. So once you break it down, you find out that you might need three smaller meetings. You might need to take things offline and work through what are these decision criteria first before you turn it over to a certain group. So breaking it down is that, you know, and paying attention to that process clarity is huge for seeing to it that you unleash next steps because each one of those steps lets you move forward and moves you towards a a real decision. And that's your sore decision-making method, correct? Yes. And I actually step skip step one, the SOAR. So objectives is the O, alternatives is the A, and risks is the R. And it's too bad I skipped SOAR. That's the statement of the decision because a lot of times the very first step is skipped and that is deciding on what decision are we actually making here. And when we make decisions, oftentimes there's actually a series of cascading decisions relevant to that decision. So you might be trying to decide whether to buy a new car and the next guy is trying to tell you what kind of car, you know, helping you decide what kind of car and someone else wants to help you decide whether to lease or rent. Those are lease or buy. Those are all different decisions and they usually there's a logical order to how you should make those decisions. But if you pay attention to what's the series of decisions and which one do we actually have to start on, you get everyone on the same page. This is the decision. Now here are the decision criteria. Now here are the alternatives. Now here are the risks. And you bring the right people in to help you with each one of those four steps. That resonates with me as a salesperson. The nature of what I do as a benefits broker and total rewards consultant is somebody has to get fired for me to get hired you know, almost every time. And so there are two... Everybody goes into it thinking it's one decision, but there really are at least two decisions that you have to make. One is, are we going to fire the person we're working with? And then the next one is, who's the right choice going forward? And a lot of organizations, a lot of teams will lump those two together and it winds up sort of confusing things and it gets hard to make the right decision at the end. And, you know, 
they wind up making a decision at the end where they've been communicating one thing and they make the decision the other way because they hadn't actually answered that first question yet. So I, I just see that happen all the time. And I have those conversations with clients or prospective clients all the time. Yeah. It both causes you to go in circles. It also causes you to struggle to make the final decision. And the other thing is that when a decision process isn't handled well, people start fearing what the outcome is. They, they don't like where it's going. So they start pushing back and things are difficult. And I've discovered that if you follow the process and suppose you say, okay, this is S, the store, the statement. This is the decision we're making. Here are our decision criteria. And then you start talking about the alternatives and some people will start squirming because they see it going down to a certain kind of decision. They don't like it. And so if you recognize that, you say, stop. Let's go back to the objectives. Do we have the right decision criteria here? Because a lot of times that discomfort that people start feeling when they're talking about alternatives means that we haven't captured all the right objectives. We're, we're missing a critical point. So I do, I've done a lot of facilitation and that's one of the things I'm watching for is what, when, when people are squirming or they're worried and pushing back, it's because they think we're going in the wrong direction. So what did we miss on the previous step? What are they afraid is being left out? And the wonderful thing about doing that as a group is that you say, okay, it seems like we're missing something in our decision criteria. And then you've got the whole group working together to try to figure out what's missing instead of, you know, sometimes pushing back on the person who's squirming or, or being disparaging and not paying enough attention to their concerns. But if you shift that focus to what's missing in our objectives, have we been clear about what's most important and, you know, what might we have to live with? And, you know, it's like when you're talking about layoffs or something like decision like that, and people start thinking, oh my God, we're going to lay people off and they get really uncomfortable. And you go back and say, well, is our layoffs on the table or aren't they? And you have that conversation separately. Yeah, layoffs are going to have to be on the table. Now you've got people on the same page instead of going, I don't want to go to layoffs, you know? So usually discomfort means that you didn't get the previous step right. Yeah, that's so interesting to think about. Like if there's, if there's misalignment or people get uncomfortable that you maybe jumped ahead in the decisions that you were making, that there was a, there was another decision that needed to come first to get everybody on the same page to then be able to make this decision. Like in your layoff case, like you start talking about layoffs. Well, the first decision is are layoffs even on the table? Exactly. So let's back up. Are layoffs on the table or not? Let's gain clarity there. Yes, they are. Okay. Now we can move forward and everybody's on the same page. You may not like that layoffs are happening, but we're all on the same page. We know we got to make this decision. We know we got to figure this out in this way. Yeah. And you can be agreed that, you, you know, layoffs should be the last choice, that, you know, keep it as trying to prevent it, but it's a possibility. But if you have people who say no way, then, you know, you're never going to come to agreement. So if you don't agree on objectives, you will never agree on alternatives. I love that. So I, I think this might be a good spot to talk about another term that you use, which is wandering in. So can you explain what wandering in is and how that relates to decision-making? Yeah, wandering in is what we do all the time. <laughs> it's what you do when you, you sit down at your desk and, and you know you have to write an article, so you just start writing. Or you, you need to dive into a project and you just start doing stuff. Or it could be as bad as you start making your to-do list for the day, and before you finish making the to-do list, you start doing one of the things on the list. You just start doing it, you know? and so it's about not stopping and being crystal clear about, okay, what am I actually doing right now? What needs to be different 15 minutes from now, an hour from now at lunchtime? If you're not clear about what needs to be different when I'm done for whatever interval or situation, you're wandering in. You're on a fishing expedition. So, And the, and the meetings do that all the time if they're not clear about what needs to be different. When we're done, people just start talking and they'll talk around. And sometimes that talk is interesting. Sometimes it's got a lot of good ideas involved. Sometimes it seems to be on topic because, you know, go back to the project review. There's a whole bunch of things that are on topic, but it doesn't mean you accomplish anything. So wandering in is a really bad habit. You need to stop and say, what needs to be different? 
10 minutes from now, an hour from now, before the end of the day. Well, and as I was reading that, I was like kind of chuckling to myself and was like, yeah, no guilty. I can think of a handful of examples just from the last month or week where I wandered into some problem. But I was, as I was thinking about it, I, I also said, you know, that process has led to positive outcomes and I've, and we've all gotten things done by wandering in. So what's the, you know, what's the real problem? And I think going back to what you just described before around the lack of clarity leading to some people being uncomfortable, some people pushing back on decisions. I think what we see in corporations a lot is when decisions get made and then they go to be implemented and the team that's implementing them doesn't give it their all or is doesn't have buy-in or, or worse, actually talks bad about that decision and ignores it. So I, I think I like what you were saying before around going back, making sure you're, you actually are asking the right questions in the right order, setting the right objectives, and then starting to work on the alternatives and, and coming up with the ideas of the brainstorm of the list or whatever, because now we're all, we're just all better aligned. So the outcome, you're, you're more likely to get a better outcome working the full process. At least that's, that's just me sort of interpreting your information and trying to make sense of it in my head. Well, wandering in when you were the group of people, you hit on all kinds of, I mean, there's the, obviously the productivity problems, but there's also all the room for confusion, all the room for bad decisions. I mean, all kinds of things can go wrong and, and they do all the time because we aren't intentional about what specifically are we trying to achieve and what's the next step to get there. So a lot of times, you know, we survive, but we do it the hard way (laughs) and we cause a lot of controversy and (laughs) we waste a lot of time. Yeah. There's a lot of cleanup that has to happen. Yeah. And when you, when you wander in alone at your desk, the good news is no one is watching and realizing that you just spent an hour, you know, checking email one more time, getting distracted by the internet, you know, chase, looking something up that you thought about earlier in the day. No one knows how much time you waste, but if you stop and think about it, if you sit down and you make your to-do lists and you don't go wandering off until you say, okay, what are the three things I'm going to accomplish today? And then when you start the first one and you say, I'm going to do this and nothing but this for the next hour or until I finish, and you're clear about what's what does that look like when I'm done? What will be different when I'm done? It makes it so much easier because you're not just... Well, gee, maybe I'll try this. It's like writing an article. If you say, okay, what's the point of this article? Answer that question first. And what's the first point I have to convey? What's going to be different once after someone's read the first paragraph? What's going to be different when they've read the third paragraph? And as soon as you answer that question, it's really easy to write each of those paragraphs. So what does the start to your day look like? The first thing I do is is pull out a very small piece of paper and I I look at my previous notes about what needs to be done and I go, okay, what's going to be different by the end of this day? And a lot of times I break it down. You know, what are the the three things? And I don't like having more than three on my list that absolutely have to be done today. And, you know, I've got a bigger sheet that tells me all the things I need to worry about, but I put that aside and I have one five by seven that I put down, these are the the most important things that need to be done. I always keep another five by seven off on the side of my desk. So when something pops into my head, it's just there to distract me. (laughs) I can write it down. I need to deal with that later. But I want to be crystal clear about what do I absolutely have to do today by lunchtime, whatever the time interval is. Is that based on getting stuff done? The book, no. The book, no, okay, because it seems similar. Is that your own method then that you've kind of created for yourself? That's my own method because my, my trademark question is what needs to be different when we're done, and I believe that level of specificity makes it so much easier. Say I'm I'm sitting down and I've got a big project in front of me for a, a new client. If I just start kind of you know maybe creating materials for them or trying to schedule meetings or something. I don't even know who to invite to those meetings yet. I don't know what materials they need. I need to step back and say, what what really needs to be different by the end of this project? So then what do those 
you know, maybe we're, we've got two weeks or five sessions or whatever the situation is. What needs to be different each time? What's, what's that progression look like? How am I going to make this all happen? And it sounds like a lot of planning, but I need that level of specificity. Otherwise, I know I'm going to waste a lot of time wandering around and doing things that may not need to be done at all and they won't be done as efficiently. So if, if I can be really specific about what do I need to do right now? What's the first step? What's the next step? And I can be much more efficient and much faster. So I would be curious what your tool looks like. And the reason I asked about getting stuff done is I read that book a couple of years ago and I've co-opted a, some of the method, but his whole thing was that your brain is a terrible place to store your to-do list. And so he has what he calls his inbox, which is a place that he just dumps anything that comes to his mind as something that needs to get done. And then at the end of the day or a few times a week, he goes through the inbox and sorts it all into the appropriate to-do lists. And then he's checking his to-do lists and then pulling things off on a day-by-day basis that need to get done that day. So that's that's a very rough version of sort of the method from that book on how to stay organized and productive. And I I think those kinds of tools are really helpful. So I'd, I'd love to hear what your tool looks like for capturing the bigger picture. If we want to get organized around one thing in our lives, I think that's fairly simple. We can write that to-do list down. But when we have the to-do list for our family, for our the five projects we have at work, for the one extracurricular thing, for the social activities, for our kids' calendars, for whatever, like it just all of a sudden it's like completely overwhelming. And I think good, clear tools help people and and people are looking for that. I know I always am. So that's a long question just to say what is what does your tool look like? Yeah. Well my main tool that's that's stuck with me for just ages now is an eight and a half by eleven. And I will, you just listed all the categories. So up at the top, I might say clients, underline that. And then the next category, a little farther down, might be that whatever big project I'm working on. And then there'll be another one, big, you know, whatever, whatever those categories are. I have all of them on one page and I will just have a couple of things under each one to kind of keep me clued in as to where I am. The details for each one of those are in a file, you know, just. If something comes up involving this project or this client, I can just stick it in a file folder where all that stuff is. So when I'm working on that client or that project or that book, I pull out that folder and I just work on that. But this one page that helps me see the big picture is what keeps me from losing pieces. And that's that's essential. So I, cr- I create that page once a week, sometimes more than once a week. Sometimes I start, you know, adding notes to that and it gets to be a mess and I need to step back and say, okay, what's, what's the big piece here? And then when I look at that, I can say, okay, this week has to be dedicated hugely to this, this, and this, and that's it. And then each day it's like, okay, what's, what's going to be different before this hour's over so that I can get that stuff done. How much time does that take on a weekly or on a daily basis to keep organized? Not that much time. The the biggest problem is when I get behind, you know, when you, and you can't even, you get so far behind, you can't even clean out your stupid email inbox, you know, <laughs> it drives me nuts. So there are days when I have to say, okay, I ha- I need a cleanup day, you know, or a half a day or a couple hours, whatever the situation may be. And I need to answer a whole bunch of email or clean out the email or it, get all the little you know, diddly stuff done. And there's always a category on my sheet that's basically just says administrative. And that's where I keep track of those things. And I try to do as little administrative stuff as possible, but you have to be able to feel like you're on top of things. So you've got to stop and clean things up here and there. I like what you said about getting far behind because I, I'm a very, how do I want to say it? I'm a very unorganized mind, so I have to be a very organized person if I want to get a lot of things done. And it's funny because I have people say to me like, oh, you're you're so organized and process driven. And it's like, it is just a defense mechanism at this point. <laughs> yeah. But what I have found is that if you make the process too complicated, then it then you get behind faster 
and then you're more likely to just let it blow up and you get to a point where you have to scrap the whole thing and start over again. And that's not the productivity that you want. So I do think to your point, there is an element where you need to be sifting through this stuff on a regular basis, but you also need to make it easy enough that you can keep up with it. And you got to just, you got to find that balance for you, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that you really have to do is be really brutal about saying no. You know, I talk about my five overload options in the book, (laughs) you know, and there are actually only six ways to deal with too much to do. There's only six options. That's it. And the problem is we choose the one that is ineffective and all and ignore the five that are effective. And so the first one, please go on. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So the most important one is abandoning things. Number one, you can abandon stuff. You can just say, okay, I'm just not going to do that. You know, I'm I'm not going to work with that. For me, I might say, I'm I'm not going to take that project. I'm not going to work with that client or um, I'm whatever, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to go there. It would, I'm a fairly compulsive person. And so it's easy. And I also think big. So it's really easy for me to put a lot of things on my list. And I have to just say, no, I'm just not going to do it. Okay. So the second option besides abandon is, is postpone. That just has to wait. It absolutely has to wait. The third is cut corners. And that's not cutting corners in a bad way, but it's doing the minimum because we all tend to embellish or perfect things. And we need to say, no, let's, let's just do what has to be done to make this work and not anything more. You know, what's the smallest way I can satisfy that requirement? And the fourth is to delegate or outsource. It's, I'm not the right person to do this. I need to find someone else. And whether that is, like I say, outsource outside of your organization or just give it to someone else who is going to be able to do this or has the time to do it is a good thing. So the fifth one is a new method. And this has to be a radically new method. This has to be a new way of approaching one of your tasks that's going to make a huge difference. This can't be a little incremental improvement. You know, it can't be and it certainly can't be, I'm just going to do it faster. <laughs> you have to come up with something that gets the job done faster. So you can abandon, postpone, outsource, cut corners, and find a better method. Those all work. Those are legitimate choices. Number six is not deciding to do one of the five. It's also known as wishful thinking, <laughs> where you just say, no, I'm, I'm just going to get this all done because I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work longer. I'm going to be more focused. And somehow it's all going to happen. And the reality is we just get behind that way. So we have to be brutal about making our choices among those other five options because those are the only options there are. And if you're not in position to make those choices because you've got a boss, you need to sit down with your boss and say, look, I can legitimately do these things. I know it. I believe it. I'm totally on board. I'm worried about this thing these other things. What do you want me to abandon? What do you want me to postpone? What can we delegate? Where can we cut corners? And is there a better method? Is my method too slow? What? How else could I do this? And the boss, if you can't make the tough decisions, that's the boss's job. And I always tell people, if your boss won't make the tough decisions, you tell them, I will. <laughs> I'm going to decide to postpone these things. <laughs> you know? And that's their job. I think that's such a great framework for people to remember and go back and reference when they are looking at all of their tasks to try to stay organized. And the abandoned one too, it's funny, like not everything that makes it onto your to-do list necessarily needs to get done. And that you might be like, well, if I put it on my to-do list, it's something that I need to do. But I inevitably find that there's probably like a 20% random number, but there's there's some percentage of my to-do list that keeps getting pushed off. And I eventually just look at it and go, I don't need to do that. That really wasn't... Exactly. It was maybe an interesting idea, but it's not something I need to get done. And with all the other things going on in my life, I'm just going to scrap that and move on. I think another important point to make here is that the, when if you have a to-do list that's... You haven't shortened it to three things. So you have this to-do list that's too long. We often spend a ton of time rewriting, rejiggering, 
shuffling our to-do list or moving it from paper to electronic or from one electronic tool to another tool as if rewriting this to-do list enough times is somehow going to make it shorter. You know, a lot of times we break up tasks into smaller tasks so we can check them off faster. I think your to-do list should be very short and it should include those things that are tangible outcomes, not activities, but just like my definition of, you know, specific tangible outcomes that are steps in a process, that's what needs to be on your to-do list. I need to decide this. I need to create this. I need to plan this. I need to make this list, that kind of thing. That's, you know, real low level detail, but that's how your three items for the day need to really have that level of detail almost to get anything done. Then another, I think, point to mention is that when we talk about excessively long to-do lists, we spend a lot of time prioritizing, saying, well, here, this is my number one, number two, number three, most important things. So therefore, that's where I'm going to start. And then you've got all these low level, lower priority things that are lurking, (laughs) driving you nuts and (laughs) causing anxiety because there's so many of them. And I just want to point out that there's an enormous difference between postponing something and making it a lower level priority. Because if it's a lower priority, it's still on your list. It's still overwhelming. It's still there. It still needs to be done. But when you consciously decide to abandon it or postpone it or outsource it or cut corners or use a new method, you are fundamentally changing the picture of what you need to do. And it feels a lot better. What well, clear it it closes the mental browser. You know, you don't have all those mental browser tabs open in your head running in the background. That little voice that just pops up. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? You should be doing this. You should have been doing that. You wasted your time. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that type of distraction, what tips do you have? What other tips do you have for reducing distractions? Uh, the biggest one, of course, is making that those decisions so that you're you can be focused. And then the next thing to do is to get rid of all the distractions, and that includes any things on your desk in the vicinity that catch your eye that aren't pertinent to your most important next task. Because as long as they're sitting there, they you know interrupt you mentally every time your eye catches a glimpse of another project. So put the other projects in the drawer, in the file cabinet, or close the windows on your computer, you know, just get them out of sight so they're out of your mind. So you can just focus on the one thing you need to do right now. And then of course, there's the obvious, turn off your phone, close the door, close all the applications on your computer that you don't absolutely have to use. And one thing I do is if if I really need to get something done and I need to go to the internet to look something up, I will say out loud, okay, I'm going to the internet now, or I'm going to my email now just to find this one thing out, or I'm going to my email to just find out if that client wrote back. And I almost always just want to say it out loud because as soon as you go to the email, you're looking for, you know, a response from a client or something and you get, you see 10 other things and you start deleting emails or responding and you just lost it. <laughs> and going to the internet, of course, you find 10 other things that oh, while I'm here, I'm going to look this up or I'm going to go to face down that or I'm going to go fix my website, you know, whatever. Well, it's easy to listen to you say that and be like, oh, she's odd or, you know, that's like laugh at that in some way. But if you're not that intentional about it, these, whether it's an app or even your email inbox, like these things get designed to hold your attention. Yeah, especially online. Yeah. You know, any website you go to or any app you open is designed to keep your eyeballs on that thing for as long as possible. And it's better than our psychology. So you have to be, you almost have to be that purposeful to remind yourself to get in and get out. So a couple final questions in the time we have left. What are you sick of talking about when it comes to clarity? I'm so sick of talking about meetings. I'm at least I'm sick of reading all these suggestions about meetings that have to do with you have to have agendas. You have, you know, you should lock the door. You should take away the phones. You should all these things that are about controlling people instead of simply figuring out what needs to be different when we're done. And then that one question replaces so much of the advice you read about meetings. 
And I have so many people who've read the, my books and or my clients who just say, man, if people would just take that one piece of advice, we could quit having these, you know, millions of articles out there about how to improve meetings. <laughs> so I get tired of writing that article, but I feel like I have to keep doing it because I have to keep telling people you're barking up the wrong tree. If you look at most of the solutions people give you for improving meetings, they've been around for a long time and meetings have never gotten any better. We're still complaining about meetings. You know, we, we spend hours and hours in meetings and most people will say they're not as productive as they want. They just, they should be, you know, as they want them to be and they don't accomplish enough. But instead, they'll say, well, make an agenda. Half the people to get invited to meetings shouldn't be invited to meetings, but we don't know that because we haven't figured out what needs to be different when we're done. So we don't know who to invite that needs to be involved in those decisions. And then at the end of the meeting, because we know that meetings waste time, we brainstorm action items because we want to justify all the time we just spent in the meeting. And those action items might be these wonderful things that sound wonderful, but they have nothing to do with the original purpose of the meeting. And they just fill people's to-do lists with more stuff that sounds good and, and wow, you know, maybe we should do this. So don't generate action items to justify the time you spent in the meeting. <laughs> Figure out what needs to be different when you're done. And when you're done, you're done. <laughs> you know, the one thing that that makes me think about too is there is value to social connection for social connection's sake. And I'm going to guess, I don't know how to ask this as a question, so I'll, I'm just going to guess that you wouldn't argue that every business interaction has to be purely objective focused and you have to cut it as soon as the objective is met and move on and it and there's no place for the human interaction and human relationships. Okay, so that's a really good question. So I'm fine with human interaction on your way into the meeting, on your way out, but let's not make the meeting about that. I mean, I when I was an employee and being called into all these meetings, there was nothing more annoying to me than wasting the time in the in the name of social interactions like what's the purpose of this meeting let's get it done i have a ton of work to do i need to get back to my desk and get that done you know so when you're trying to get something done be really specific about what the objective is what the process is and make it ha happen as quickly as possible then you can take time out <laughs> and socialize have fun but don't mix the two in such a way that you just end up wasting time. I like that. I mean, you can be specific that, hey, we want to solve this problem and then I want to check in with everybody on X, you know, or then we'll go and have a social lunch about, you know, and not worry for the next hour. And, and I think you can be, you can use your same sore decision-making criteria, right? To define that problem or define that objective, I guess, is, hey, here's the objective for the next hour. We don't have an objective. We're just going to bond and connect. Yeah, and that's fine. Then I tell a story in the book about how when I was in college, I took the fall of my senior year off. I did an independent study and a bunch of other stuff, but I came back senior year spring and something had changed in me. I'm watching my friends and, and roommates and all procrastinating. And I'm going, why are you doing that? You know, figure out what you need to be do doing and I mean, what needs to be done and get it done. Or go play, go play frisbee, go do something fun. Don't waste your precious time sort of pretending to work or distracting yourself or wandering in, you know, get it done or go play. <laughs> Preserve your fun time that way. I was astounded because they kind of, you know, sort of work and wander around the apartment and get another cup of tea. And it's like, just quit. <laughs> Go have fun and then come back and get it done. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's a real thing, especially in the working world where you, it's not like homework where you can kind of choose when to do it. Like you're supposed to be at work from this time to this time. And so, but people don't always want to be doing their heads down work all the time. And so I would say people need to find ways to do the work and then give yourself little rewards and breaks, but you got to be purposeful about it. Otherwise, you, you spend all day in that weird quasi moment where you are working, but feel like you want to be taking a break or you're 
distracted and you feel like you should be working and then it winds up taking twice as long as it should have taken you know like that weird kind of quasi middle land affects a lot of people i think yeah and it might be just because you're not clear about what you're doing so stop stop doing it and clarify what needs to be different an hour from now half an hour from now but when you get into those times when you your energy's low or you're frustrated then you should either you know go take a walk or go do something completely different or just switch to a different project for a while you know switch tasks completely but i mean so many people are working remotely now they can go and take a break you know they can go for a walk they can move around and that's a positive thing i think but that sitting around in that la la land where you're not really accomplishing anything but you're not having fun either. <laughs> that's a that's a terrible place to be. <laughs> it is, and you know we all get caught there. I've I've been caught there more than I would like to admit. But uh, yeah, this is a good. I, I like your tools as ways to combat that that place. Well, and this has been fantastic. There is a ton in here for people to use that I think is really tangible stuff. So I hope people will take notes. We'll start to implement this stuff if they want to learn more about you or engage you to help their teams where do they find you well you can find me at nlatham.com but i highly recommend you read the book the power of clarity because i poured everything i know about creating clarity almost i just had a new book come out (laughs) this is stuff that didn't fit but i really put so much of my knowledge into the power of clarity with the hopes that people would read it and see that they can use those tools directly from the book Fantastic. Well, I would encourage people to check out the book, to check out the website, and to reach out if you think that this is something that you need some professional help with. And thank you. Appreciate you spreading the wisdom here on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been really fun talking to you, O'Brien. Hey, folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.